We're already a week into the new year. All those resolutions that you made back there on the first, some have already dropped by the wayside. Our number one resolution in many cases is that we get physically fit, that we lose some weight, that we uh, get ourselves buffed so that we can get ready for the beach come June. Or to Belize, you know, when we get ready to go there in July. But we want to do those kinds of things. And so therefore we go out and we buy new equipment. I won't ask you to raise your hand and tell me how many bought that elliptical. Or bought that piece of equipment that just keeps you going. Because you can put it in the basement. And you've told yourself, you told your wife, if I put it in the basement, I can do it any time at all. I can do it when I come home from work. I can do it, you know, on weekends. I need this piece of equipment. And if you buy the equipment, you got to do one other thing. You need to go down to Academy or to Dick's and do what? You got to buy the right clothes, right? You can't be exercising with the wrong shoes. So you got to have the right shoes and you got to have the right shirt. You got to have all those things that match together. And so you go out and you join a gym. You even buy some weight loss plans. But many times the only winners are the gym and the retail stores. Because before long, they are all stored away somewhere and we've forgotten all about them. But this morning I'd like to talk about spiritual fitness. Because we talk about going and being the evangelist. We talk about going and spreading the word. We talk about sharing the truth of God's word. And one of the primary requirements in that is that we are physically fit. That we're able to go out and do the task that is set before us. And as I read scripture, I realize that we can define spiritual fitness as a measure of our spiritual ability to function in the power of the Holy Spirit in our daily activities while resisting the world of sin all about us. That's a big statement. Okay, it's a big statement and there's lots of parts to it. But the one part that I really like is that it's a measurement. You know, when I think about physical training after 30 years in the Army, I realized something. We had to do PT even when I got 60 years of age, okay? One of the very last things they did to me, that they came up one day and said, before you can retire, we have to complete your record and you have to go take a PT test. I went, are you out of your mind? I haven't done PT in a year. And now you want me to go out and run and do push-ups and do set-ups. And the amazing thing, as Clyde will tell you, is that when you get older, the requirements don't become less. They feel like that you've been doing it a long time, so therefore you ought to be able to do more. You ought to run faster than everybody else. I kept going, what in the world is wrong with this picture? You know, I'm getting older, and these young guys are only having to do 18, 19 push-ups, and I'm having to do 50 and 60. Something's not right with this picture. But every six months, you would have a PT test. And the idea was that you were supposed to be maintaining yourself and preparing that you could take a PT test at any time. This morning, 
as we look at spiritual fitness, I want to look at our own spiritual assessment. You need to take out a pen. You need to write this down. Because I want you to take this test. You don't have to give it to anybody. You don't have to turn it into James so he can come up with a spreadsheet so we know where you are or any of that good stuff. Now, as a preacher, I like to do that sometimes, okay? But you know, as I look at 2 Corinthians, the 13 chapter, verse 6, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, Paul is ending the book, and he's talking about salvation in particular. He's talking about examining yourself and, first of all, realize, are you a Christian? Many of us have made decisions when we were 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 years of age. And we made those decisions. We were baptized And after that, we were in vacation Bible school. We were in church. And then we became teenagers, and life just overflowed. And we found ourselves less and less involved in church, less and less involved in the things of God. And what Paul is saying to us, not only as young people, but also as adults, examine yourself and make sure that your faith is sure. Make sure that the Holy Spirit of God is living within you and that you haven't been handed a counterfeit, that you haven't been handed uh, a false doctrine, that you haven't been relying upon something that's not true. You need to know from whence your faith is built. You need to be confident in your faith. The hardest thing I know is dealing with people that have made professions of faith at such a long time and their lives never live out that faith. They live like the devil. They speak like the devil. They go to the devil's places. They live in the devil's world. And once in a while, they'll show at the church and they'll make, a, you know, they'll make their presence known. But they have no idea what it means to give their life totally and completely to Jesus Christ. But notice the basic skills. Those basic skills that we talk about, we're all familiar with. We're all familiar that we ought to be praying. And most of us pray at the very last moment. Most of us pray when only we've tried everything else in the world and our last resort is to get on our knees and say, God, help me because I've done my part. I've done everything I can do and now I need you to get me out of this. We need to look at our prayer life. Look at the last 30 days of your prayer life. How many hours, how many minutes, how many days have you spent in petitioning the very throne of God? And you say, now, preacher, the Lord understands I'm a busy person. The Lord understands that I've got all kinds of demands in my life. I've got all kinds of things that I need to take care of. And he knows I just can't sit down and pray. He knows I can't dedicate that time. He knows those things about me. And then when you look at that, you realize that he says, pray without ceasing. And that we ought to be in that spirit of prayer. But, you know, we assume that's for those super Christians. Those super Christians that come and pray for an hour. Those super Christians that come and pray day in and day out. Those super Christians that have devotions every morning 
and spend that time in prayer before God. It's for those super Christians. It's not for me. We need to evaluate and assess where our prayer life happens to be. Is it only when we find ourselves in trouble? When we find ourselves the day of the test and we didn't study? And we walk in and go, Lord, please. If I get a C on this, mom is going to kill me. She'll put me on restrictions and I won't be able to do anything. Lord, help me. And we get the C. We go, see, I told you. Prayer doesn't work. Study works, okay? Study works. And the Lord has the ability to bring back to my, you know, the prayer is what? Lord, bring back to my remembrance everything that I study. I think that's a great prayer. You have to study first, right? Lord, bring back to my remembrance uh, those things I was thinking about, those things that I was hoping about. Prayer. Notice he also talks about reading God's word. And we, we assume that the advanced course is to uh, be able to defend the word of God, to be able to describe the word of God, to be able to uh, be a preacher when it comes to understanding the word of God. And the reality of it is God wants us in his word. He tells us that it is his word that will protect us. It is his word that will guide us. It is his word that will talk to us in relationship to the life that we live. James is going to talk about finances, and I noticed one of the little statements that he had on there, that the Bible speaks about finances more than anything else, and we wonder why in the world we ought to read God's Word. God's Word can lead us. He can make us the evangelist and the proclaimer and the equipper that we ought to be. We ought to be in the house of God. Notice that calendar. Look at the last 30 days. You know, that was Christmas, so we were in church a whole lot. Go back to November. Go back to October. Have we been in the house of the Lord? Or are we, you know, we only went to church when we felt pretty good. We only went to church when our team won. I expect a lot of people in church next Sunday. Okay? That means people ought to be here. There ought to be no seats empty next week. Okay? Hopefully, right? Hopefully. But we ought to be praying and we ought to be reading God's word. We ought to be giving. And I go on, preacher, don't talk about giving. Don't talk about money. Our brother was talking about how we are equipped and how we are blessed in this country. And how God has given us so much. And he has given us so much that many times we take it for granted. And many times we elevate our standard of living only because we can elevate our standard of living. And God requires us to give unto him and to give sacrificially and to give to the point that it is in relationship to how we love and how we have received of him. Many times all we give in the last few months is what we could have in our wallet at the time. God expects us to give. He expects us to give to the point that it reflects on our love for him. And you look at your checkbook and just, just go over it this afternoon. How much did you spend at McDonald's this last year? Some of you spent a lot of money at McDonald's. Krispy Kreme, too. We as a church spend a lot of money at Krispy Kreme. They ought to give us big discounts up there. 
But, you know, we ought to give. And the Lord has convicted me many times. You know, when I've realized that I go to the movies and it costs me $25 just for my wife and I, and then I look at what I give to the Lord and I realize that God says, if you can go to the movies and spend $25, why in the world can't you give $25 to Lottie Moon? Why can't you give to the needs of the world that are around? And many times, because we don't see the needs, and because we don't understand the needs, we don't give. And we ought to give cheerfully, and we ought to give because God has blessed us. Oh, has he blessed us. You know, our brother comes from Belize. But when you go to third world countries, you realize something. Having food on the table is a blessing. Having a roof over your head that doesn't leak is a blessing. Having the ability to enjoy life to just a little extent is a blessing. And if we don't get to Disney World every year, we think we've been cursed by God and that something's wrong in our life. We ought to be in the house of God. Bill Gay was in Vietnam in 1976. And in 1976, he made a promise to God. He says, God, if you get me out of this place, I will go to church every Sunday. That was in 1976. Bill hasn't missed church since 1976. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. Okay? I can't imagine. And we at Southern Baptist used to get pins, did we not? Man, we have pins and we just, you know, we just stack them on down there. It looked like, you know, some curl back there, you know, with all this stuff floating down. But we understand what it is to be in the house of God and with the people of God. But, you know, if we're going to do that, if we're going to examine ourselves, we realize that many times we fall short. And it's sort of like that PT, isn't it? Well, I'm going to do it in the morning. And the morning gets around and you go, well, you know, I need to get to work early. I'll do it when I get home. And when you get home, the kids are waiting for you. And then after the kids go to bed, guess what? Your wife is waiting for you. And before long you go, man, I'll just do it tomorrow. And tomorrow comes around and guess what happens? The same old, same old. And that's what happens in our spiritual life, isn't it? Well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. I'm going to be in church. And we fall short time and time again. The blessing of God's word is that even when we fall short, even when we fail, God has a way of forgiving us and placing us in the place to serve him with newness of life and with new intent and to forgive us and to bring us to that place that we can serve him and that we can recommit ourselves to a spiritual life by developing a program by developing the right motivation. You know, as we talk about motivation, we talk about that which drives us. You know, Jerry probably has all kinds of motivating speeches, right, for the guys. Got them stacked up there. He collects them, you know, and he got all these things. But the one thing about guys in football is what? They do it because they want to do it. And if they don't do it because they want to do it, very little motivates them and keeps them going. It's amazing how that works in our lives. Motivation is that goal, that purpose that drives us forward. And when I look at God's word, I realize that we have a motivation to serve God. And that's found there in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 1 through 3. 
He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the glory set before him endured the cross. The motivation is this. People have gone before us and have shown us the way. Some of those people were our parents and our grandparents. Some of you have your grandmother's Bible. And in that Bible is written all kinds of stuff, isn't it? They've written stories. They've written messages. They've written words that have spoken to them. And, of course, they've written all kinds of notes to you. What they were going to give you, what they weren't going to give you, what they're going to give to your brothers and sisters and all that stuff. But the reality of it is, is that God has told us that we've had such a great cloud of witness that have gone on before us. Not only the Peters and Pauls of this world, but we've also had the uh, D.L. Moody's and we've also had uh, Adrian Rogers and Billy Graham and Franklin Graham and Beth Moore. We've had these people that have been the testimony to us, that have been the way to say it can be done and we can live a spiritual life and we can be spiritually fit before him. But he says in order to do that, we've got to throw off everything. You know, I can't go out and buy Atlanta Falcon tickets, season tickets. Well, I can, right? I can use a charge card and I can do it. But what happens if I do that? When do they play? Sunday. One o'clock. Okay. So you've got to make a choice, right? You're going to go watch them? Or are you going to church? And we as a society have been taking more and more out of church, haven't we? We've been carving out Wednesday night. Everything that goes on with our family happens when? Wednesday night. It's carving out Saturday. We, we have to spend the time on Saturday. And now it has invaded itself into Sunday. And we as parents and we as a church and we as the people of God have to take a stand. We have to stand up and say it's important to be in the house of God. It's important to study. It's important to be with the people of God. And we have to deny. We have to put away. We have to resist the temptations and the entanglements. Notice that Paul says the entanglements. It ties us down. We can't serve him. Because we're serving everything and everybody else. But you know, preacher... That's my kids, and my kids deserve it. Your kids deserve to be in the house of God. Your kids deserve to hear the message of God. Your kids need to understand there is hope in this hopeless world. Your kids need to understand that they can overcome all that is out there. They can overcome the bullies. They can overcome the assaults that are out there. They can stand up for truth, and they need to hear it in the house of God with the people of God. Now, if you've got a son or a daughter, that's going to be Tiger Woods. Nah. You need to be in the house of God. Okay. Tiger needs to be in the house of God. 
but we think that we're doing them a favor, do we not? We think we're doing them right, do we not? And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, when your children deny the faith, when your children turn their back on the church of God, when your children turn their back on their faith, when your children won't darken the door of a church, you have nobody to blame but yourself. Oh, but I was doing the best I could. You need to do it according to the God's word, to what God's word says. Throw off those shackles. Throw off those hindrances. If you're going to get physically fit, you can't go to Krispy Kreme every week. Okay, David gets me because I can go to Krispy Kreme every day. And the only reason I can go to Krispy Kreme is because I'm sick. Okay, and I can't gain weight. So I can eat Krispy Kreme every day and it just doesn't, it just doesn't do anything. Okay, which is a blessing. And one of these days I'm going to get fixed. And when I get fixed, I'm going to become the Baptist preacher. Okay? I'm going to become the Baptist preacher as big as a house. Okay? You'll have to, I'll have to waddle in and you'll have to waddle me out. Because that's what happens. But the reality of it is we need to be motivated to serve God. We need to put away those things. And notice what he says there in Hebrews also. He says, focus on Jesus. Fix your focus. One of the things I hated about running, I hated running a track, okay? Eight laps around a track, I'd always forget where I was at, okay? And they would always say, well, carry rocks in your pocket and drop it off every time you come around. That didn't work, okay? But I love being able to run a distance that I knew where the finish was, Because I can say, if I could just get to the next block, to the next corner, I'll be okay. If I get to the next corner, I'll be okay. And if I could get within sight of the finish line, it would be great, okay? But going around and around in circles. And what God's telling us here is get our eyes focused. Get our focus upon Jesus Christ, not upon the cares of this world, not upon the needs of this world, not upon the demands of this world. Get our eyes focused totally and completely upon him and serve him. And that's not the requirement of a preacher. That's a requirement of all of us as Christians to be focused on him. Philippians 3.14 says... What is the object of our, mo- our motivation? He says, I press onward towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward, in Christ Jesus. I like winning the prize, okay? I like winning the prize. He says, I am pressing towards the mark of the high calling. And we as Christians say, well, what is that reward? There's three crowns. Three crowns in, first, in 2 Timothy 4. 7 through 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. So there's a crown of righteousness. Notice in 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Notice the third crown there in the book of the Revelation, the second chapter, verse 10. As Christ speaks to the church of Smyrna, he says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. 
I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. A crown of life, a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness. It is our motivation. It is in this cloud of witness. It is in this focus that we have upon Christ Jesus our Lord. But notice the third thing. We need to develop a consistent regiment. Oh, I tell you, we did PT five days a week. The blessing about being a chaplain is I could go from company to company, okay? And I would go to a company and I would talk to the first sergeant. I'd say, tell me, first sergeant, what you're going to do today? He goes, well, we're going to do circuit training. And I went, you're out of your mind. I cannot do circuit training. Muscle failure, right? Muscle failure at its max. Around and around you go. And I'd go to the next one and they'd go, well, chaplain, it's going to be an easy day. We're going to do a, you know, two eight-minute miles, some push-ups, some sit-ups, and some stretching. And I went, this is where I want to go, okay? This is where I want to go. But, you know, you have to have that regimen because even in the Army doing PT, they only do PT to maintain. They don't do PT to get in shape. If you're waiting for them to get you in shape, you're in trouble, okay? You're in trouble. You've got to do that on your own. You've got to have your own regimen. You've got to have uh, a plan that you're going to implement that will work for you. And some of you went out and you bought P90X. We'll find out who you are before long, okay? Because you won't be able to move. You'll be coming in here just squeezing around, okay? Do you do p 90? No? I figure Chris would do P90 at least. But you have a plan. You have a plan that gears you up. Notice 1 Corinthians, the 9th chapter, verse 24 through 27. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. Oh, I hate training. It's painful. It is painful. You'll get sore, okay? You'll get exhausted. You won't want to do it. You'll find every excuse possible not to do it. But if we're going to serve God, if we're going to be spiritually fit, we have to get into that strict training. We have to get into the Word of God. We have to get into the house of God. We need to be with the people of God. We need to encourage one another. We need to develop that plan. My challenge to you this morning is, do you have a plan? And I'll guarantee you that if you do not have a plan on how you're going to get physically fit, spiritually fit this year, I'll guarantee you where we'll be next year. Right where we are now. Okay? You've got to have a plan. You've got to implement that plan. You've got to work that plan. Set some goals. Short and long term. You need to do some spiritual cardio. You need to get that heart beating. One of the greatest ways I know to do that is stick the headset on, stick some good music, and let the Holy Spirit of God just minister to you. 
in a powerful way. Now, where can you do that? You can do that in your car, can't you? Don't put the headset on. But you can do that in your car. You can let the Holy Spirit of God use that music to stir your spirit, to motivate you and to challenge you in your life. You need to begin with that cardio exercise. You need to get your heart beeping, beating for the Lord. You need to understand the needs that are around us. You need to understand the hurt that is about us. You need to understand lost men and women every single day. You go to a workplace and there's lost men and women. You go to the supermarket and there's lost men and women. You go to all the places that we go and there's lost men and women. They don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want to talk about his word. They don't want to talk about the hope that he can bring. We have a mission. We have a a story, as we sang, to tell. There is hope in this world. There is peace to offer. There is forgiveness. You don't have to live in guilt. You don't have to live in failure. You don't have to live in disappointment. You don't have to live in sin. You can live victorious. You can live at the hand of God. You can sit at his table. You can become all the sons of God and the daughters of God. Oh, what a blessing. What a hope. What a story to tell. Here's the other thing that we need to do. Not only set the gold, not only incorporate that spiritual cardio in your life, but put it on paper. Put it on paper. When I was 12 years of age, a missionary came to my church. He stood up and he showed pictures of Germany. He showed the needs that were out there. And the Holy Spirit of God grabbed a hold of me and said, you need, to, you need to give your life to me. And I made that decision. I went for it and I filled out this card and my dad filled out this card. He took that card and he put it in his Bible. On the Sunday that I was ordained, he handed me that Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to write it. You need to put it down in writing. You may need to make a covenant before God. I am going to work to be spiritually fit this year. I am going to overcome the shackles that are in my life. I am going to live victorious. I am going to be with the people of God. I am going to serve him. I am going to share the good news. Put it in your Bible. Sign it. And then in Colossians, the third chapter, verse 16, he says, join forces with others. Join forces with others. He said, let the word of the Lord dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. We need to get together. We need to be together because there's strength here. There's men and women of faith and there's men and women a power here and we need to be with them we need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds this is a church that ought to be filled with equippers this is a church that ought to be filled with encouragers this ought to be a church that's filled with enablers we ought to be helping one another I have to say thank you because there was a lady in, that came to the office that was needing a job 
going through divorce, going through all kinds of financial difficulties. We sent the word out through the Yahoo list. Ladies and gentlemen, you wouldn't believe the emails we got back of men and women that knew jobs, new opportunities so that this lady could get a job. That's enabling. That's helping. We have the ability to do that. And we ought to do that before God. This morning, it's the first Sunday in 2013. You've made all kinds of resolutions to lose weight, to exercise more, to do better in school. Now's the time to take that assessment and allow the Holy Spirit of God to go through your life. To walk through that last week. To walk through your relationships. To walk through your commitments. To walk through all the things that you're doing in your life and assess it by what God wants in your life. Are you where God wants you to be? Are you serving him? Let me tell you why it's important as we close. It's important because we never know when death will knock on our door. The last month has been a hard month, has it not? Have you reviewed the last month? We've had two, three deaths in our church in the last month. We've had what happened up north, plus the multiple other incidences and deaths that have taken place. We got families in our church that are in pain. We got couples in pain. We got children that are rebellious and wanting to do their own thing. We need the power of God working in us. We need to tell the story because God has blessed us. And to keep that story hidden, I believe the judgment on us will be far greater than upon those that don't have the resources to tell. We have the resources to tell. We need to be about it. Isn't it great that we met our Lottie Moon offering? I think that's fantastic. First time we've met it in a number of years. But that's only the beginning. We have 20 slots to go to Belize. We ought to have 60. And you go, that's $60,000. Yeah, it is. That's $60,000. $1,000 a piece, right? 1000 plus. But we ought to have 60 go. I don't know if you can take care of us if we all come down there, but, you know. <laughs> they have things called hammocks. You know, and they go up real quick, you know. But God can use us. The challenge this morning is assess your life. Assess your spiritual fitness. If you find yourself wanting, make that decision between you and God. Write it in your Bible. But you may need to come stand this morning and say, Preacher, pray for me. It's been a rough year. But I really want this year to be the year that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. I really want to see his victories. I want to see his way in all that we say and do. As we stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed,
as we pray together. Shall we stand? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed and no one looking around, in a cursory way you went through your spiritual life and you realize there's a lot of things that you need to give to him. And you just say, preacher, in a form of commitment, just pray for me. Just raise your hand wherever you may be and just say, just pray for me. Amen. Amen. All through the house. Amen. Amen. Others, just as we begin to pray. Father God, you've seen these hands of these men and women and young people who have been challenged by the world. Many times because of convenience and because it was easier just to keep our mouth shut, we didn't say anything. Father, we haven't read and we haven't prayed. We haven't even shared the good news that Jesus is alive. Jesus will give us victory. Father, we pray that you make this year a year that will bring honor and glory to your name and that we will commit at this moment to serve you. And, Father, we'll fail and we'll, we'll stumble. But, Father, we're going to pick ourselves up again and we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep moving for you. We are going to commit ourselves to growing in our faith. We're going to commit ourselves to serving you. We're going to commit ourselves to witnessing to those that are around us. We are going to be the church that you'd have us to be and the people that you'd have us to be. We're going to enable one another. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to equip. We're going to be all that you have for us. For this we ask and pray in your precious name. Amen.